0: Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Premed Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Well, thank you for being here. If this is the first time here, welcome. I appreciate you taking the time out of your precious day all of the time that you have, that you need to study and do your extracurriculars and everything else that you are up to to turn this podcast on in the car, put your earbuds in and listen to me while you're exercising, doing laundry, doing the dishes, whatever you are doing. Thank you for taking the time to do it. Today, I'm gonna cover some basics, something very interesting that, well, I don't know if it's really interesting, but something I it's interesting that I haven't really covered, kind of an in-depth view of this since we started, and we're 248 episodes in. We're, we're closing in on five years of the Pre-Med Years podcast. That's at the end of November that comes up. So it's coming up fast, five years. You have to help me figure out what to do for a five-year celebration. So you can shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net, or um, say something in the Hangouts. If, if you're not in the Hangouts, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash group. To be part of the hangout, answer some simple questions to get in. I will let you in, and uh, yeah leave a leave a comment a post in there on Facebook on what we should do to celebrate five years, some giveaways some some something I think I think we should do some big giveaways that 's what I think anyway, what I want to cover today is something that again i haven 't really covered that in depth um, in totality on a podcast, and that is the whole journey from starting off as a pre-med and finishing as an attending, which is what you call somebody out of training, out of residency, out of fellowship, you call that physician an attending. And so I'm going to take you kind of soup to nuts from, from A to Z and kind of fill in the gaps as, and not super in-depth, but just give you a general overview of everything and what to expect along the way. I think one of the, the biggest things that we as humans fear is the unknown. And so I'm hoping with this episode, you'll listen to it and the whole process will be a lot easier for you to understand, which means it'll be a lot less scary. So hopefully that's that's the goal. I, I know we've talked about everything that we're going to talk about in this podcast across all of the other podcasts. But this is the first time I think that we've kind of put it all together in one. So that's what we're going to do today. So let's go ahead and get started right now. So you start off your journey as a pre-med. And there's a lot of people out there that that use pre-med for pre-PA or pre-NP, pre-nursing. They'll say they are pre-med. But kind of the, the tried and true the, the standard use of pre-med means you are a student that, or, or a, a person, you don't necessarily have to be a, a student yet. You, if you're a non-traditional student or you're a non-traditional um, uh, soon-to-be student and you've decided that you want to go back and be a physician, go ahead and label, label yourself a pre-med. I, I give you the, 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 the okay to do that. So you start off as a pre-med, whether you're in high school, in college, after college, wherever you are on your journey, as soon as you decide that you want to be a physician, you are a pre-med. Now, if you're in high school and you're deciding this, great, you have a leg up because you, you know what you want, hopefully. And just because you know it now as a high school student doesn't mean that's what you are going to want. Once you are in college and you're on that path, you may decide to change your mind, and that's okay too. So as a high school student, if you are a high school student doing this, you have a couple options. You can go to an undergrad university, a four-year university, and major in whatever you want as long as you take the prereqs for most schools. And those are usually English and physics and chemistry, biology, some organic chemistry. Some schools are adding in some psychology, sociology for the MCAT. Those are kind of the general things that you need to look at. You can major in theater. You can major in Spanish. You can major in whatever, whatever you want to become a physician, to become a medical student really first. The term pre-med, a lot of students mix up pre-med with being the major. And there are few, if any left, colleges that actually have a quote-unquote pre-med major. Most of them will have a what they call a pre-med track. Some will have the ability to kind of flag you as a pre-med in their system so that the advisors can track you so they know who you are and offer you advice along the way. So as a high school student, you can go down that path. Even as a, a, non-traditional, a non-traditional student, you can go down that path. You can also go to a two-year university, a community college. Now, there's there's a lot of myths around community college and some negative stigma around community college. But the truth is, if you go to a community college, you're going to have to transfer to a four-year school, you're going to have to do well throughout, and you're going to be fine. Most medical schools will accept community college credits. That is okay. You can also, as a high school student, apply for a BSMD program. So you can go straight into college kind of knowing that you're already accepted into medical school as well. So they have these BSMD programs and sometimes they're six years, sometimes they're seven years, sometimes they're full eight years. It all depends on the specific program that you are applying to. All right. So once you figure out where you're going to go, you start off in college. And the biggest thing that you need to do when you're starting in college is respect the transition to being a college student. A lot of students go awry here and they try to take on way too much stuff. They, they go on Student Doctor Network and they read these stories of students with 3,000 hours of shadowing and, and 10 publications and all of these things. And they think, oh, I need, I need to start right now or else I won't get into medical school. That's baloney. You don't have to start right now. Your job when you start college is to get A's or as close to A's as you can get. Adjust to being a college student where you are not being told day in and day out what you need to do every day. When you go to college, you're given a syllabus, you're given dates of tests, and you're kind of left on your own to figure it out. You can go to classes if you want. You don't have to go to classes if you don't want. Some some colleges will have mandatory tenants but we'll leave that out of the equation for now. So you just need to get onto campus, figure out how to be a college student. You need to start to get to know your pre-med advisor. Your pre-med advisor is going to be the one that knows the ins and outs, hopefully, of your college, of your institution. They are gonna know all of the classes that match up the best with medical school prereqs. They're gonna know the best classes that match up with MCAT prep, they're going to know, hopefully, all of it. And they're going to be the ones that are going to be your, hopefully, champion along the way. They're going to push you and coach you and be there for you along the way. So you need to get to know your pre-med advisor. Don't show up at the very end of college and say, hi, I'm pre-med. I need a letter of recommendation from you. Too many students do that. They knock on the door and say, surprise, here I am. Don't do that. That's basically your first year. You're just dipping your toes in the water, learning how to be a student, getting good grades, easing into that transition. Once your sophomore year hits your second year, then you can start piling in some things. And, and along the way, you'll see that, that every year, you're adding more and more to your plate. So it's in a stepwise fashion, you're learning how to take on more and more responsibility, more and more organizational skills are going to be needed, better study skills are going to be needed along the way. So you're just building upon each step of the way. So once sophomore year hits, now you can start looking into research if you want to. And no, research isn't mandatory, but I recommend you try it out to see if you like it. You'd be surprised. This is the time to start to get into clinical volunteering this is the time to start to do some shadowing. You can do some shadowing your first year because shadowing doesn't take a lot of resources. You're just kind of there hanging out. You can do it once a month, once every couple weeks for a couple hours here and there. That's not gonna take a lot of time. So you can do some shadowing your first year just to continue to see and to, con- to continue to prove to yourself, to reinforce that you're on the right path, that you still wanna be a physician. That's, that's what shadowing is for. It's good for that. So clinical volunteering, you should be doing sophomore year, start to get in front of patients, interact with patients. You can do this through hospice. You can do this as an EMT, a CNA, an ER volunteer, any, any loads of different things. You can become a certified phlebotomist. You can do a lot of different things to get in front of patients. I get a, a lot of questions all the time. Does this count as clinical experience? Answer it for yourself. Were you close enough to smell the patient? That's the, that's the general saying in the admissions world. Were you close enough to smell the patient? Being a scribe is great to experience. Most scribe positions will allow you to have some interaction with the patient. You're, you're gonna need to interact with them to fill out the chart and, and make sure you have everything down properly. If you're interacting with the patient, even if it's not in a specific clinical environment, if it's a patient that you're interacting with, even if you're a, like a home health aide, if you're in, a, in somebody's home interacting with them, that's clinical experience. You need to do some non-clinical volunteering as well just to get out there and, and show that you can spread your time out and handle the workload and, and still go out and contribute to the community. That's a very, very important thing. Leadership is very important. You need to be able to show that you're a leader. You don't necessarily have to go start three different clubs on campus. You don't need to go run for class president, but you need to have some leadership experience. That's all very important. So sophomore year, you're continuing to be a great student, and then you're adding in these extracurriculars. Research, clinical experience, non-clinical volunteering, leadership experience, shadowing, all of this stuff you're throwing in there. And oh, by the way, you can start prepping for the MCAT too, if you want to. You don't need to, but a lot of students like to start prepping for the MCAT as well. They go and buy some MCAT books and they take them to their classes, physics class and chemistry and organic, and they look through the MCAT books and, and start to prep for the MCAT along the way. So that's sophomore year. Now we get to junior year and junior year, it starts to get exciting because junior year is typically the time that you'll take, especially the end, the end of junior year is the time that you're going to take the MCAT. The MCAT is taken. That's if, if we're going to plan out here, let's say 2020 is the year that you want to apply to medical school. March or April is what I recommend of 2019 is when you take the MCAT. So that's kind of the the tail end of your junior year. Along the same timeline, you are also prepping your applications. Applications start around May and June of, let's say 2019, if you want to start medical school in 2020. So the end of your junior year, things start to get even busier. So your sophomore year, you're, you're still being a great student. You're adding in the research, the clinical experience, the non-clinical volunteering, the leadership, the shadowing, and everything else that you're trying to do, being a good uh, boyfriend, being a good girlfriend, being a good spouse, being a good daughter and, and son and whatever else you're trying to be, father, mother for, for a lot of you. And you're, you're getting all of those grades. You're doing all of those extracurriculars. And then junior year, you're adding more on top of it. Remember what I said earlier? You're adding more every step of the way. So now, the end of your junior year, you're adding MCAT prep. Getting down into the, the ditches of the MCAT world. And I won't go really deep into the MCAT here. Suffice it to say, you need to prep for usually several months to do well on the MCAT. You need to take a lot of practice tests. If you want to take some practice tests, go check out Next Step Test Prep over at nextsteptestprep.com. Use the promo code MSHQ, and you'll save 10% off of their their, um, full-length practice test packs. You can buy, I think, four, six, and 10 full-length MCAT practice tests. And just a disclosure, when you do use that coupon code, I get a little beer money every time. So I appreciate you using that if you do use it. So that's the code MSHQ at Next Step Test Prep. So you need to take these full-length practice tests. Guess how long the full-length practice tests take to do them right? They take eight hours to sit there and take a full-length practice test. That's how long the MCAT takes. And so you need to do, let's say, six or eight of them leading up to your exam. That's a lot of time that you need to prepare for. But guess what? You can't just stop all of your clinical experience because then you'll have this big gap, like your, your junior year as you're ramping up to your MCAT date, a lot of students will go, okay, I got my hours in for clinical experience. I got my hours in for foreshadowing. I'm good there. Now I need to go prep for the MCAT. Guess what? That's a big red flag for the admissions committee. They see that gap and they go, well, what happened here? Are you really interested in being a physician or are you just checking some boxes off? Or what is it? Because if you're really interested in being a physician, then you would have continued to be around patients the whole time. So it's very important not to just drop everything for MCAT prep and applications. So applications, again, assuming 2020 start date, applications May or June of 2019, you need to start writing your personal statements around January. You need to start asking for letters of recommendations uh, around March, April, May. um, And you need to start preparing for your interviews. You need to start asking for transcripts. You need to write all of your extracurriculars down. So let let me kind of rewind back to sophomore year as you're doing all of your extracurriculars. Keep a journal. Keep a journal. It's very, very important so that when it comes to application time, you don't have to remember everything. It's all right there in front of you. All right. So that's May and June of 2019. Again, assuming a 2020 start date is when you are applying for medical school. You submit your applications. Let's hope that you've already taken the MCAT because if you haven't taken the MCAT, then you're also prepping and doing your applications at the same time. And usually what happens is applications suffer and you apply later and later. You have to remember that the majority of medical schools out there Accept students on a rolling admissions basis, meaning the earlier that your application is in, the earlier that they will consider you as an uh, as a uh, applicant, and the earlier that you will hopefully be invited for an interview, which means the earlier that you can get an acceptance. The later that you apply, the less seats that are uh, are available, and it becomes a giant game of musical chairs. Later in the game, more people, less seats. Your chances go down the later it takes for you to apply to medical school. So don't do that. You need to apply early. Even if you don't have your MCAT score yet, still submit your application so that you can go through the verification process. In the verification process, the application services are looking at your application and looking at all of the grades that you've entered and comparing that one by one to the transcripts that you had submitted. So it takes a long time. It's a human doing that. All right. So that is junior year. Moving on from junior to senior year, that transition there. So you submit in June, July comes a lot of secondary applications. So if you don't know that the medical school application is broken down into a primary application and then secondary applications, the secondary applications are more essays. They take a lot of time to write. And the, the suggestion is Submit your application early June. Start writing your secondary essays for as many schools as you can. And as soon as your, your application gets sent out, then you will get a secondary and you can just turn that secondary around as soon as possible. There's this magical two-week window for submitting secondary. Some schools will give you deadlines. Some schools won't for those secondaries. All right, so now we're looking at July for the secondaries, if again, assuming you're applying early, you have August and September and October and November and December and January and February and March and sometimes even in April is interview season. It's a long interview season. So be prepared to get an interview at any point in there. Now, when a school sends an invite, they'll send it through email typically or through their portal that they have set up and you will either be given a date or you log on and select a date. And again, earlier the better because most schools are rolling admissions. You go for your interviews and then depending on the school, it's usually mid-October, at least for the MD schools, the AAMC has asked, that the MD schools not to release their their acceptances until mid October. The DO schools don't have those same rules, so acceptances can go out earlier than that. All right, that's that process. So you you have all the way up until typically March or April for interviews, acceptances, and then if you're accepted, congratulations! You're going to start medical school typically around August. Again, let's say 2020 for this, um, this example. So you start medical school in August. It's great. You're finally a medical student. You start off with your white coat ceremony. Everybody's excited. And then reality hits. And you realize that life is completely different now. You need to realize that when you start medical school, there's always that analogy of, of drinking out of a fire hose. And it is so, so true. It's test after test after test, tons of material to learn, and you just need to hit the ground running and go. A lot of students will ask, how do I prepare? How can, what can I do in the summer before? What classes can I take in in undergrad? And really the answer is just enjoy your life up until medical school and then start in medical school and just go. Don't really do anything to prepare to be a medical student other than being a good student. So you start in August, and then most schools, it's clinical. Everything is clinical, or non-clinical, sorry, it's all classes. Um, Some schools will will have some clinical-like experiences where you start to shadow and, and get around patients. You start to interview patients, learning those skills. Some little bit of exam skills in there as well. Most schools are doing that now. That is first year. There's really no change there. It's a lot of testing, a lot of school, and a lot of fun. It really is a lot of fun. And then most schools still have a summer in between first and second year where you're free to go go do some shadowing, go do some research, go take a break, whatever you need to do during that summer. Some schools are dropping that summer and just going straight from first year to second year and starting their clinical rotations even earlier so that you have more clinical rotations, you get more clinical experience. So that's something to look at when you're evaluating medical schools is is do they still have that summer? I recommend still having that summer. I I would not be a fan of getting rid of that summer because it's a good break between all of the clinical, uh, non-clinical, all of the classes that you're taking. At the end of summer... Uh, at the end of your second year, around the end of your second year, you're going to take what is known as the boards, step one or level one, depending on if you're an allopathic student or an osteopathic student. And I didn't really explain that much. Uh, An osteopathic student is a DO student, an allopathic student is an MD student. At the end of the day, you're a physician when you graduate. DOs have an extra skill of osteopathic manipulative treatment or osteopathic Manipulative medicine. There's a general trend to say that, or not a trend, but the the history has always been that DO students treat patients more holistically. I don't believe in that, and a lot of osteopathic schools are starting to say, "Stop saying that to us." Um, There there has to be more than that uh, when you're looking at osteopathic schools. So boards, you take step one and level one. Now step one, I can speak about because because I took step one, I didn't take uh, level one, I didn't take Comlex. If you are a DO student, you can take the Comlex and USMLE. If you are an MD student, you can only take the USMLE. All right, the, the level, uh, step one, level one is a lot of just basic science knowledge. It's, it's just straightforward, a lot of memorization, a lot of just knowing facts. That is step one. I did not do well in step one because that's not how I like to be tested. All right, once you finish step one, assuming you pass it, you go on to your clinical rotations, third year and fourth year. A lot of it's just going to be whatever the mandatory clinical rotations are that your school has set up. A lot of um, DO students especially will have to travel a bunch to go to different sites to do their rotations. Um, Fourth year, you start to do some more electives. So you start narrowing down what you are interested in doing as a specialty, what you want to apply to for your residency. And you start to have electives and you say, okay, I want to go to uh, across the country to this one specific program that I I think I like. Um, I want to do an elective there. So you set it up, you go for the month or whatever it is, and you spend your time there and hopefully do well so that when you apply, you'll get accepted. Uh, You'll match uh, actually. That's third. Third year is just a lot of mostly just standard rotations. And then fourth year, you start to work in the elective rotations. Near the end of fourth year, you need to take step two, which is the second part of the boards. Again, Comlex, level two, USMLE, step two. This test is a little bit more or a lot bit more actually useful in my mind because it's testing you based on not just the knowledge, just the rote memorization. It's actually giving you some more scenarios, more treatment-based things, a little bit more real life. And so I had more fun on that test. There's also, so step two has CK and CS. CK is clinical knowledge, which is the written test. CS is clinical skills, which a lot of people are trying to get rid of. Clinical skills is where you actually have to go to a site, and there's only a handful of sites in the, in the U.S. It's a very expensive test. You have to fly there and stay, typically for a night, and you go. It's a testing center with standardized patients. You have to interact with the patients, take a history, do a physical, write a note, and you're tested on that. That's step two. All around this same time as well, you're interviewing, you're, you're um, applying to residencies, You're interviewing at residency programs, and then you submit your rank list for the match. And the match, if you don't know yet, is a very fancy algorithm. The the creators of it actually won a Nobel Prize for it. The algorithm takes your rank list where you rank from one to however many programs where you want to go to. And the programs rank from one to however many the students that they want to accept into their program. And then the algorithm does its magic and you get, um, in mid-March, you get to have match day. And that's when you open up an envelope and see where you matched. If you don't match, you find out about a week before whether you matched or don't match. If you don't match, you go through what's called the SOAP process, Supplemental Offer and Acceptance Program. Where you find out what programs aren't full and you call them up and say, Hey, you're not full and I need a place to go. Will you please take me? Please, 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 please. And so that's the soap. Um, But mid March is Match Day, huge, a huge, um, a huge day in the medical student's life. And uh, something I don't think I'll ever forget Match Day is uh, great. So that's mid March. And then most students graduate around May, sometimes later um, into early June, but most are around May when you graduate medical school. And then you start residency. Once you finish medical school, you go into residency. Now residency, uh, a lot of students get confused with internship versus residency. Internship is just your first year of residency. So for your internship, you have a prelim year or a categorical year. A prelim year is something that I did. So I did a prelim internship. I did a transitional year. It was a mix of medicine and a mix of surgery. You can do prelim internal medicine or prelim surgery. Now, a prelim year is usually a year that you have to apply to separately from your main residency. So a, a prelim year for some programs out there, some residencies out there, the specialties, they don't have their internship actually built into the main program. Some of those include dermatology, ophthalmology, neurology, and there there are other programs and it's changing a lot all the time. So something to look into. But just just know that depending on the program, you may have to apply to a separate internship. But let's assume you don't apply to a separate internship. You're just applying to internal medicine, and you apply to your your categorical program, a three-year program, and you match. When you are applying to residencies, there is a wide spectrum from three years is the minimum, typically internal medicine, pediatrics, family medicine, to seven years out there for neurosurgery and some of the plastics and other programs out there. You are doing your first year as an intern, and then residency the rest of the time. You're getting paid at this point. Uh, I think the last time I looked at the average, it was about forty six, forty seven thousand dollars. Maybe it's a a little bit more now, since I looked. Uh, is the average across the whole country? So depending on where you live, cost of living living wise, it may be a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. But you're actually getting paid. <laughs> but you you don't want to ever calculate your your um, hourly wage. Because if you look at the hours, you're going to be very sad because it's a lot of work. And the average is about, it, it, the average is a lot. Um, you can't work. I, I, the last time I looked, um, it was 80 hours on, on average over a five week period, I think, um, for a, a two week period. So it is a lot of work. A lot of work. It's, it is. So be prepared to work a lot. And I, I realized when I, what I just said, 80 hours over a two week period, that, that's 80 hours. That's 80 hours a week. That's <laughs> a, a lot of work. So 80 hours in a week, uh, 16 hours um, for first year residents, 24 hours for second and third year residents. Um, last time it was changed. There's, it's constantly changing. There's a lot of stuff in the news recently with work hour regulations and interns going back to a 28-hour straight shift. Um, so be prepared to work a lot as a, as a resident, 80 hours. And realize that once you become an attending, there, there are no work hour regulations. So you can work a lot more than that. If you think of a hospitalist that's working seven days on, seven days off, those seven days, they are on completely the whole time. Now they're sleeping, they are, but they're still on call. Some hospitals may have noctur- uh, nocturnists now where they're actually covering the nighttime hours to give the hospitalist some break at night, but it's, it's a lot of work. All right. That said, um, somewhere in your internship year, typically you're taking step three or level three of the boards. And this is needed to actually get your um, license to practice independently. And that's very important to, to finish that out strongly. So you finish residency. Now you can go and practice. You can go be a general pediatrician, a general internist, a general whatever you are, um, or you can go do a fellowship. And fellowship, depending on what you're doing, can be one year's. Uh, one year could be three years, uh, maybe more than that. Uh, but three years, I think, is the max that I've seen. Could be more. And if you want to learn more about this side of things, go go listen to specialty stories where I talk to specialists and hear the the path to medicine and uh, what they are practicing. And it's very interesting all the different paths that you can take once you once you do your residency and get into fellowship and subspecialize in a lot of other things. And then finally. Finally, once you finish your fellowship, then you are considered an attending. Now, attending is whether you're an academic practice or a community practice, you are an attending. Once you are out of training, you are an attending physician. And then you worry about your uh, board exams. So if you want to be board certified in whatever you trained in, you have to worry about those exams. Uh, then you have to worry about continuing medical education to keep up your license and so, so much more. So it's never ending once you become an attending. But I don't want that to scare you away because it's worth it once you get there. Obviously, you've been working a long time to get there. So there there are a lot of nuances along the way. I didn't talk about MD-PhDs. I didn't talk about some of the three-year programs, uh, MD programs that are out there, DO programs. Um, so there there are some deviations to what I talked about, but hopefully that gives you a good long-term overview of what to expect. So let's assume four years of college, four years of medical school, that's eight years. Let's assume a three-year residency, that's 11 years. Let's assume one year of fellowship. Now you're at 12 years before you're in attending and making the big bucks, so they say, <laughs> but along the way, you also have all your loans uh, during your training. Most of those loans are accruing interest because you're not paying back a lots they're deferred loans, um, and a lot of other issues along the way you've had kids along the way, you've uh, been married uh, along the way, Whatever your situation is it's a long journey, but it's a journey worth taking so if you're still out there wondering if this is what you want. Now you understand kind of the full kit and caboodle, and hopefully that'll give you enough confidence to jump in with both feet. I hope you learned something today, and let me know if you did. Go to the hangout, medicalschoolhq.net slash group. Um, You can go to our Facebook page, uh, which is at facebook.com slash medicalschoolhq or just medicalschoolhq.net slash Facebook where I go live almost every day that I'm at home and in the office around 3 p.m. Eastern time. I've been rearranging my schedule, the calls that I have with students and and various other um, um, requirements that I have throughout the day. I've been rearranging those so that I can be here in my office at 3 p.m. Eastern, basically every day that I'm home. And I do a uh, Facebook Live video. And then I take those videos and... I put them out, uh, I will be putting them out as a new podcast called Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. So if you're a podcast person listening to this, go look for Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Subscribe to that. If you're a Facebook person, you like video, you want to interact with me, um, I I hang around and answer questions in the comments. And we have a a generally, uh, generally we have a good time. There's always a bunch of us in there. We have Sammy and David and and Owen, and uh, and a bunch of other people that I'm forgetting at this point, but I apologize for everybody that's there all the time. Um, but yeah, so go check out those Facebook Lives. And that is all I have for you. So as this episode comes out, I will be in Anaheim. The day this comes out is the podcast award ceremony for um, my nomination again, third year in a row for Best Science and Medicine podcast. So hopefully I win again. I mean, I win, period, (laughs) but uh, I doubt it, but that's okay. I'm just glad to be here every week for you. So hopefully this was useful. If it was, I'd love for you to share this episode with your friends, family, mentors, advisors. This would be a great podcast episode for all advisors to say, hey, freshmen, listen to this episode, even high school advisors. So if you know some people, send it out, let them know that I sent you. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here at the Pre-Med Years.